So now I'm going to welcome up Van, our lead pastor here, and he's going to give us a message today. Thank you. Morning, everyone. How y'all doing? Hey, we're going to be talking about joy uh, starting today and and throughout this month leading up into Christmas. And I I was just wondering, how many of you were raised to believe that life is really, really serious? And you got to get your work done before you can do anything fun. Anybody? Okay. No laughter. Why are you laughing? You haven't even cleaned up your room yet. Okay. Anybody identify with that? You know, life, and life is serious, and life is serious, but one of the things that that does to us is it builds into us this sense that we aren't allowed to be joyful. It builds into us this sense that, well, I don't have all my work done. The world's not a perfect place yet, so how dare I laugh or be happy or be joyful? And here's the thing. God created us to be joyful, he did. He created us to be joyful people. That's, that's part of how he made us and who he made us to be. And what he wants us to do is to experience kingdom joy, which is a supernatural joy. And when we begin to do that, then life just becomes a different thing. It just becomes a different thing. You know, it's possible for us to experience joy over good things. Um, you, you get a new job or something good comes into your life and you're joyful over that. But um, without Jesus, without first of all experiencing joy in Jesus, then all that is is a circumstantial joy. And my, my attitude towards life, my feeling about life is going to be up and down with every circumstance, every time circumstances change. But uh, what, what the Bible teaches us to do is to tap into the joy that God has put in us. You might say, well, hey, wait a second. I am not a joyful person. I'm just a solemn person. That's the way I am. I'm serious about life. And, uh, and I'm just not joyful. Or someone might say, well, hey, I'm British. You know, we, we have a stiff upper lip. And so joy is just not part of the equation for me. But uh, the truth of the matter is, God did create you to be joyful. And if you have Jesus in you, then you have joy in you. Now, the thing is that some people would say, by birth, I am not joyful. It's in my nature to be you know, even-tempered and self-controlled. But if you've been born again, which means when you receive Jesus, you are born again, then you are born into a new family line. You are born into a new nature. And that nature is represented by the life of Jesus. And so... When, the whole, when you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and changes your heart, gives you a new nature, and that new nature is in alignment with who Jesus is. And then the Holy Spirit draws that joy out so that we get to experience it. Now, um, sometimes we go through difficulties, and it's really hard to experience joy when we're in tough times, isn't it? That, that's a hard thing to do. I remember when we left Owasso, Michigan in 1994, up till that time I had pastored in churches that did not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We did not believe that God spoke today or that healing was alive or certainly the gift of tongues uh, was not something anyone should dabble in. 
and then had a real big shift of theology in 1993 that really came to a head in 94. And I had to resign the church I was pastoring. And um, we had four children. Well, I didn't have to resign, but but I did resign it out of an ethical um, duty. And we had four children to support and to take care of. And we had to get out of the parsonage and did not know where we were going to go, where we were going to live, or how how we were going to live. And so during that time, a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And I remember one day, pointedly, as I was praying, thinking to myself, I thought this, in five years, I'm going to look back on this time, and it's going to be a great story. It's just going to be a great story of how God provided and how he led us into this new thing and how life, you know, how God carried us through this really tough time. And, and I'm going to have a lot of joy then when I look back on this. And so why do I want to wait five years before I start experiencing joy over this situation? I might as well, I might as well get happy about it right now. And so in effect, God gave me faith to reach five years into the future. Actually, it was more like two years into the future. And to, to grab hold of some of that joy and to bring it back into my present today, right now. And, and really, there's a sense in which that's what God does for us. Because when the kingdom of God is here, we believe that it is here fully, although we don't fully experience it because we, we, we don't have faith to experience it fully. We don't have understanding to experience it fully. Our hearts and our minds, spirits and lives are not aligned with the kingdom uh, fully, so we don't, we don't experience it fully, but it is here. The day is going to come when Jesus returns that the kingdom will be here in its fullness, and then there won't be any sickness, any hardship, there won't be any, anybody that's hungry, it, it, there won't be any warfare or any th- war or anything like that, and we are going to experience complete, full, perfect joy at that time. Now, what the Holy Spirit does is he takes that future joy and he puts it into us today so that we can begin to experience it today based upon who Jesus is, not just the good fortune I've had, but who Jesus is. And when, when I'm rejoicing in Jesus first, then good fortune comes my way and I get to rejoice in that good fortune with Jesus. But, it's not, but I'm not living a life where my only joy is when good things happen to me in my life. So it's really crucial to understand that because you've received Christ, if you've received Jesus, he comes in, gives you a new nature, and it is within that, it's in that nature for you to be a joyful person. It's part of your nature. Now we know that because Jesus himself was the most joyful guy in his whole crowd, in, in, among all of his friends. And you see that in Hebrews 1 9. Hebrews 1 9 says this You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Now, this is from the Old Testament. It's God the Father speaking to God the Son. And he says, you've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Now, he doesn't mean by that that, that um, Jesus had a judgmental attitude and that he, you know, I hate sin and I hate anybody that sins. Not that type of a thing. What, what he's saying when he says you've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness was your life is lined up with the kingdom. 
You know, most of our lives are, this is the kingdom, and this is my life, then you know, we, we hit, but we're not totally lined up with Jesus. He was totally lined up with the kingdom. He was in alignment with the kingdom. And because of that, he experienced full kingdom joy. And it says, the way the Father puts it here, God has anointed you with the oil of gladness. That word gladness is a synonym um, in the Greek text for the word joy. And it actually means extreme joy that is manifest, that's, that is uh, expressed. And that's one of the things about joy. Joy has to be expressed in some way. And so Jesus not only was the happiest guy in the, in the whole crowd, but he expressed it. And because he didn't have any self-consciousness in the sense of worrying about what other people thought about him. You know, do I look goofy right now? Is, you know, are my dance moves cool or not? Um, he wasn't worried about anything like that. So he could express his joy freely and completely wherever he was. And that's really what God's calling us to, is to allow the joy that's in there to get out, for it to be expressed, for us to actually experience it. And joy, I would say, it is, it's an experience of gladness. It's an experience of delight, of happiness, of uh, elation, Inside, it's that experience that really has to be expressed. If it's there, it has to be expressed. And if nothing else, in the twinkle of an, in the twinkle in your eye, in the smile on your face, uh, sometimes uh, in in the words that you speak, the tone of voice that you use, the way you carry yourself, it can be expressed at times through jumping and shouting and clapping and uh, and, and other just outward expressions. I've, I've said different times here that in our worship that whatever you do to Bengals game, short of ter- ripping your shirt off and painting Jesus on your chest, <laughs> is okay here. You can jump up and down, you can cheer, you can high five, because those are all natural human expressions of incredible joy, and we want to have that type of joy. I remember once uh, years ago, Shortly after we were married, a couple years after we were married, I was watching a Steelers football game. If you don't know this, I grew up north of Pittsburgh, so yes, I am still a Steelers fan. I, I am not a traitor, though, okay? I'm not that. If I grew up here and I was a Steelers fan, then you could accuse me of being a traitor, but I didn't, okay? So if any of you are old enough to remember the 70s and the Steelers, you know um, the... the uh, hatred that existed between them and the Oakland Raiders. I'm sorry, Bengals didn't quite make that. They were. So I was watching a game where the Steelers were playing uh, the Oakland Raiders, and I wasn't really, well, there were times that I would have been happy if Kenny Stabler had broken his leg, let's put it that way, which is not right. Um, But Steelers did something good. I can't remember what it was, but I literally, I just, I jumped out of my chair and I pumped my fist into the air and I yelled. And my beautiful wife said, boy, it would be great if you got that excited about God. (laughs) That was a good word. 
there was no hostility, no judgment in that either. It was just an, it was just an honest-hearted uh, expression. But um, <laughs> I, di- I didn't hear that. I don't know what she said. God wants us to be joyful. He's put joy in us. And when we can begin to grasp and, and get revelation from God about who Jesus is and who God and, and how good it is to know him, when you can start to get that so that you have this consistent sense of rejoicing in your relationship with Jesus, then when the Bengals win the Super Bowl, you're going to be able to rejoice with, the, with God, with Jesus. It'll be awesome. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do believe in miracles, yes. So, above your brethren, gladness above your companions. So, Jesus was the guy in the crowd always smiling, okay? He was the guy in the crowd that that delighted in others. You know, that's one aspect of joy is to be able to take delight in other people. And I remember... um, years ago, taking my daughter back to Pennsylvania to my hometown with me. And she was talking to her younger cousins who were probably 10 years younger than her. She was probably 25 at the time. They're in their, you know, 15 year olds. And I remember looking at Emily's face as she was talking to them and just seeing the joy in her face and how uh, the only way I could put it was she was delighted. And she's looking at these younger girls and talking to them and she's just, there was just delight on her face. Joyful people have the ability to be delighted in the lives of other people. You know, people that aren't joyful, maybe a little bit controlling, fear showing delight because that other person might think I approve of their life. They might think that I think everything they're doing in life is is okay and really it's not. So when we're joyful, there's something about just this pure heartedness that comes when we allow joy to flow in and in and out of this. There's a pure heartedness that comes that enables us to actually delight in other people and delight in their successes and, de- and delight just in knowing them. Joy dances without shame. It, there's, there's this undercurrent of gladness that's always there. It's always there, ready to, ready to burst out at the right time, at the right time. Sometimes it's not the right time. In fact, the Bible even says that a joyful greeting too early in the morning, your neighbor's going to count that as a curse. (laughs) So the Bible says that we are to weep with those who weep. And we have to be able to do that. You don't go go to someone who's grieving and walk in and, oh, isn't God good? And smile and happy. You, you, You tie into where their emotions are. That doesn't mean you're, you're, not, you're not joyful. It just means that you are ministering to that person uh, out of the goodness of God and ministering to their pain at the point of pain that they're at. But the, joy, the gladness, the joy is always there. It's kind of like an artesian well. Remember in, uh, when I was a kid, we went to Boy Scout camp, and every year one of the things we would do is hike down this long path to see the artesian well and it was a pipe coming up out of the ground, probably an eight-inch pipe, and water was just flowing up out of it, just free, you know, probably six or eight inches of flow coming straight up out of this pipe. So the water's down there. It's just a matter of tapping into it. 
If no one had drilled that well, if no one had put that pipe in the ground, the water would still be under the ground. But it was there, and there was pressure to it. All, all you had to do was tap into it, and it flowed. Didn't take work. And it, so the, the, the joy is there, and what we need to learn to do is to tap into it. And there are times, however, when, um, when we don't experience joy in a profound way. I had a time recently where I had a bad day, um, had, a, had, had a busy week, a rough week, different things happened, uh, and different decisions and different stuff had gone on. And I hadn't slept a couple of the nights that week. I mean, I slept a few hours, but I just was, you know, thinking about stuff. And so I was tired. And um, at the end of that week, we went out to dinner with two friends of ours, to another pastor couple that we've been good friends with for a lot of years. And the next day, Saturday morning, I woke up. And I I could say I was flat emotionally, but I was really below flat. I was two or three notches below flat. And... And really just feeling kind of depressed. And you know what it was about? I talked too much. I thought, oh, last night at dinner I talked too much. And I said some stupid things. And I brought up different topics that they probably didn't want to talk about. And then and it was just weighing on me. And, and I'm just, just feeling this heaviness over the whole thing. And so I wasn't experiencing a whole lot of joy at that time. And um, you know, here, here's what I did, though. Here's, here's what I would recommend we do. And that is to recognize in yourself where you are. Recognize whether you're at a high point of joy or a low point of joy. And, and, and do you realize this? That joy is the culture of heaven. Joy is the culture of heaven. And yet... Even in heaven, there is an ebb and a flow to the joy. I want to show you that. There's a verse, uh, Jesus spoke this, Luke 15, 7. He said, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So if there's more joy in heaven, then there have to be times when there's less of an expression of joy. But joy is the culture of heaven. Get that. But there's more and there's less expressiveness of joy at different points of time. And so that happens in our lives also. It happens in our lives. Now, if you're at a point like I was on that Saturday where it's, you feel like joy, like you've hit the bottom part of joy and then you've dropped down even below that then you, you, you first of all acknowledge that. Tell it to God. Talk to God about it. Tell it to him. Admit it to him. You know, God, I, I'm not having any joy right now. And God, I don't know what's going on. But affirm the truth that there is joy within you. You see, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. So the Holy Spirit, if you know Jesus... Then you have a new nature, and as part of that new nature, there is joy in you, and the Holy Spirit is in you, stirring that joy. So, so you say, God, I don't, I'm not really experiencing any joy right now. I'm kind of depressed. God, what's going on? And 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 you acknowledge, God, I know that you put joy in me. I I do believe that, even though I'm not experiencing it right now. And then you ask God, what's going on? Do you have anything to show me? Uh, you know, wh- why am I feeling this way now? For me. It was, um, 
a big part of it was just self-centeredness. And, you know, self-centeredness to an extreme is called narcissism. And you know what narcissism is? It's when you believe that you are far more important to everybody else than you really are. And so here I was thinking, well, I just ruined their lives by talking too much. They'll never be happy people again because I talked too much. <laughs> and I said some stupid things. And so, so what, what, what I was doing was elevating myself. Now, this is a mature couple. They're not going to be, they're, they probably don't even remember it. They're not going to be thrown off because I talked too much. But so that was a wrong thinking on my part, something I had to repent of. Something I had to say, okay, God, you're right. That's, I'm not, I'm not, don't have that much power just by talking too much to ruin their lives. And then further, um, you, you look at that value and you get the value straightened out and you confess that to God. But here's a side note, okay? Anytime I have a conversation and I go away and I feel like I said something stupid, you know what I do? I just say, okay, God, you're big enough to make them forget what I said. <clears throat> and I have faith that you'll do that. And so God, I said some, I said some things, at least the way I'm feeling right now, might have been dumb. Would you please just erase that from their memory? Okay, that's just a side note. I do do that, and that's, that's helpful sometimes. But you, you enter back into joy this way. And the final thing is this. You do your duty. You do whatever's right, no matter how you feel. Because if, if you live on the basis of duty every day, then there, you, you really need, there's something wrong, okay? You should be able to live on the basis of joy and delight, and I, I'm, I'm glad to serve God. But when all the joy and delight are gone, and you, you find yourself at that one point where you think, okay, it's my job to do this right now, but I don't want to do it, you do it anyway, because that's duty. And Paul even said at one point in one of his epistles, he said, if I, he said, I have this charge from God. If I do it joyfully, I have a reward. What he meant by that was, when I'm into it, I love doing it. It's not like, well, if I do it joyfully, God says, well, okay, you did that joyfully, here's a reward. No, he's just saying, if I do it joyfully, then I'm enjoying it. And I get a reward, that's my reward. I get to do something I love to do. But he said, if not joyfully, then I have a duty. And he, so this is the thing. Duty is like the safety net. It's like the bottom rung thing when all else fails, okay, I'm gonna do this because it's the right thing to do. And so on those days when you're just, uh, you're struggling emotionally, the final step is you just do the right thing. And sometimes the right thing is I'm gonna clean the garage. I mean, for me, that, that, that will lift me out of an emotional down point, doing something that um, straightens things out round. But, but at any rate, God wants us to be joyful, and um, that's what he calls us to. And joy is a supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy is promised to us as a gift from God. Joy is the culture of heaven, but at the same time, joy is not always at the same level in heaven, and it's not at the same level in our lives here as well. But when we're, when we're thinking about walking in joy, one of the things to realize is that Jesus, that verse says he was in perfect alignment with the Father. 
and other places he talks about that. And so really it is, how do we get ourselves aligned with the kingdom? How do we align our hearts with the heart of Jesus, with the heart of the Father? And, and, and even more than that, what I wanna do today, next week Luke is gonna talk in a positive sense on how to, align, how to align your heart with the Father so you experience joy. I wanna just point out a few things as we um, draw this message to a close that hinder the flow of joy. It's like that artesian well, if it was capped, there'd be no water flowing. The water would still be there, but if it's capped, it's not gonna flow. If, if, uh, if you put a big rock over the top of it, some of the water would come out, but not all of it. And so there are things in our lives that can hinder the flow of, um, of God's joy within us, and I wanna talk about a few of those right now. So things that can knock us out of alignment. And the first one is this, it's romanticizing the past. Okay, romanticizing the past. Um, there's an illustration of this in the Old Testament. There was a, a man named Ezra uh, who brought n- a number of uh, Jewish people back to Israel. They had lived in captivity for decades and they came back to Israel and now they're rebuilding the temple and they're in the process of laying the foundation of the temple. And so as they lay the foundation of this temple, they uh, all get together because the foundation, the outline of the temple is now put in place and they're gonna have a big celebration over this. When they got there, all the people that were old enough to remember the old temple, the first temple, Solomon's temple, looked at this temple and they were disappointed. And they were sad because it wasn't anything like Solomon's temple was, size-wise. It was going to be small. It was not going to be a big, a big grand building like Solomon's temple was. So their hearts were locked into this uh, ro- romanticized view of the past where they thought that whatever temple we're going to build needs to be like that. And so the young people, though, All they knew is there hasn't been a temple here for 70 years and we get to build the next temple. We get to be part of that and that's gonna be exciting. And so it says all the younger people were cheering and clapping and celebrating and shouting and all the older people were wailing in grief because this temple wasn't as big as Solomon's temple or was not gonna be as big and grand as Solomon's temple. And so... Uh, what that older generation missed out on was the joy of what God was doing today. They missed out on that because they romanticized the past. And so when we romanticize the past, then we miss out on the joy of the expressions of God's kingdom today. And really one of the keys to walking in joy is to rejoice over every, even the smallest expression of the kingdom The smallest expression of God's goodness, the smallest expression of God's love, we we rejoice over that. And and so we want to be careful, especially Christmas. I think we have a tendency to romanticize Christmas past, don't we? Anybody ever done that? I mean, you you know, we all kind of remember the very best of all of our Christmases growing up or in our lifetime, and we kind of put those all together, and then we think, well, that's what Christmas ought to be, and uh, it really, it does create expectations, which is going to be the next point, but uh, we then come into Christmas, and it doesn't measure up to that, and therefore, we are sad, just like the, the people that saw the new temple. They were sad because it didn't measure up to their memory of the previous temple, and so we need to be careful with that because... 
if we just rejoice in every expression of the kingdom, then Christmas is going to be great. And, and the next point really overlaps into this, which is um, another thing that will cause us trouble is expectations of our future. Expectations of our future. And when we think of that, and you think of what I want to have happen, and what my expectations are, if they aren't met, depending upon how hard I hold on to them, depending upon if, that, if that's a real high value in my mind, and a high desire, then it can rob me of joy because it's probably not going to be met exactly because we live in a fallen world, don't we? And things just don't, aren't perfect. And so when you think about that, um, you know, illustration, Elijah in the Old Testament, he was a prophet of God, a uh, powerful man. I, I think that he had this expectation that there, if there could just be this big victory over the enemies of God, and the enemies of God, by that I mean Baal worshipers. Baal uh, worship was a, 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 an awful religion where they practiced child sacrifice and other horrific things, but it was pretty much the prominent religion of the day in Israel at this time. And so Elijah thought to himself, if I could just show everybody that the Lord Yahweh is really God, then the whole nation will repent and, and we'll get this thing back on the right trail track. Well, what happened was there was a huge confrontation between Elijah and a few hundred priests of Baal on Mount Carmel. And at the end of this big confrontation, God himself spoke by sending fire from heaven to consume Elijah's offering. And that was the contest. Whosoever God answers with fire, they both put an offering out. If Baal answers with fire, then we'll all say, we'll all say Baal is God. If, if Yahweh answers with fire, then we'll say Yahweh is God. So Yahweh answers with fire, and it consumes not only the offering, but the altar and everything, everything uh, on it. And so I believe that Elijah had this expectation that when something like that happens, we're going to see revival, and that didn't happen. In fact, uh, it wasn't long until Jezebel, the queen, is threatening Elijah's life. And Elijah gets depressed and runs out into the wilderness and hides and says, I want to die. He says, I'm all alone. And you see, expectations, when they're wrong expectations, can lead us to wrong thinking and wrong conclusions about our position in life. And God restored Elijah, brought him back from that. But I believe it was his expectations that caused him to fall into such serious depression. Now, contrast that with Mary, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary is engaged to Joseph. He's a great guy. He's going to provide well for the family. He's going to be a great father. They're going to have how many kids, do you think? Whatever, you know, they're thinking about that. And how many boys do they want? How many girls do they want? In what order? Lori and I had an order. We thought, well, two boys first and then two girls. But, um, but, but they're, they're thinking through that kind of thing and trying to make decisions like that. So she has expectations, of the life that she's going to have with Joseph. Now, God steps in through an angel who comes to her and says, Mary, by the way, we're going to change everything about your life from this moment on. And that's going to happen because you're going to become pregnant through the Holy Spirit and you're, before you're married. And for the rest of your life, there are going to be questions about you. People are going to remember this and people are going to question your integrity for the rest of your life. But 
you get to be part of bringing the Messiah into the world. You get to be part of advancing the kingdom of God in this world, and my purpose is for the world. And Mary was able to lay all of her expectations down in that moment of time and say, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Here I am. Whatever you want, I will do, and I'll do it joyfully. And that was because Jesus, well, not Jesus yet, but uh, he wasn't born yet, okay? God was the center of her life. And her hope, she knew, was in the Messiah. And here now she's hearing that she's going to get to birth the Messiah. And so she was able to lay down her expectations in a moment's time because that's where her heart focus was. I got to tell you, there's something about that for joy, to have our expectations centered in Jesus. And when our expectations are centered in him, then we can rejoice in the great things that come in with him. And when, when tough things come into our lives, we still have joy in our hearts because he's there and, and he's first in our lives. Really, with expectations, what we try to do is control. We try to control the future. We try to control our lives. And, and I mentioned Christmas earlier, trying to control how Christmas is going to go, who all is going to be there. Uh, you know, you know there, there are parents that put unreasonable pressure on their kids to be there, especially when there are two sets of in-laws living in the same town and emotional pressure and how disappointed your mother's going to be if you don't come and that sort of thing. That's control. And, and that's, that's an unwillingness to give up our expectations for, uh, to, to trust God with our expectations, with what's going to happen. And, and it can show up in those ways. It can show up in smaller ways. I remember once um, when our, before any of our kids were married, they were all home. I think it was Christmas. And we were going to have a family game night. Family game nights are fun, aren't they? Come on, they're fun. Well, we were going to play this game, and I knew the game, and I was trying to describe the game to everybody so we could have a fun time playing this game. And I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the rules all up because everyone kept making jokes and laughing and poking fun at each other, and, and it's just on and on and on until I finally said, everybody be quiet and listen to these directions so we can play this game and have fun. (laughs) That's still one of the stories our kids tell on a regular basis. (laughs) So, So isn't that crazy, though? But here's what, controlling expectations and trying to control, that just makes you do goofy things, makes you do weird things. And, and so, so much better for us to say, okay, I have these expectations, but God, I'm giving them to you. I'm going to trust them into your hands. And when we do that, then that, 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 that blockage that's keeping the, the joy from flowing is taken out of the way, okay? And so, uh, so not only romanticizing the past, but expectations of the future, self-judgment is something that will um, cause us that will block the joy. It's like putting a big rock on top of the artesian well. A little bit comes out, but not what God has for you. And so self-judgment is saying, I haven't done my work yet, therefore I can't be joyful. It's saying, I don't deserve joy, and, and therefore I can't be joyful. And picture it like this. You're, you're at, if you know Jesus, you're at the Father's table, and he's having a special dinner, and you're there, and he looks at you and he starts treating you like the guest of honor. 
And there are many of his children around this table, but he says, you know, you're, you're my favorite. I'm going to give you, the, what, what part of the chicken do you want or turkey do you want? Do you want the neck? Do you want the thighs, the legs? Anything you want, you get. And you're saying, oh no, I don't deserve that. No, I'm just happy to be here. I don't deserve that. And God the Father looks at you and he says, what, what does it mean, this word deserve? How does that fit into this discussion? Don't you know you're my child? You're at my table, and my children eat the best. It's just that simple. And so if any of you judge yourselves as unworthy of being happy or of having joy, then I want to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's untrue. If you know Jesus, Jesus made you worthy. And the Father loved you so much even before you came to know Jesus that he sent Jesus to die for you even when you were going the opposite direction. So he loved you that much then. Think of how much he loves you now that you've received Jesus. You have a new nature and you look like Jesus to him. And so don't judge yourself as unworthy. In fact, the Bible says don't judge another person's servant. And you're not your own servant, you're God's servant. So stop judging yourself as unworthy. This can also apply to just the pain in the world. I remember the first time I came back from uh, Zimbabwe, I had been there for a couple of weeks and had seen some great poverty and uh, just suffering and pain. And I came back and I felt kind of guilty for having so much. And I was sitting in my house thinking, almost everybody that I just met would be happy to leave in my garage. And here I am, I have this beautiful house and all the food I can eat. And what came to me was a friend who had told me this. He said, don't reject God's blessings and goodness in your life simply because everybody in the world doesn't have the same blessings. Okay, so that doesn't mean we don't want to be generous and we don't want to help people that have less. But don't judge yourself as unworthy. And then as, as you look at just these last two, comparing ourselves to others, that all fits in here. It leads to um, self-pity. It leads to envy and pride and jealousy. And then finally, um, number five in my list here, bitterness, anger, resentment. I already talked about control, but bitterness, anger, and resentment. I just want to say this. It's time to forgive, okay? It is time to forgive. If you have something against a, a brother, it's time to forgive them. Just release it. Let it go. If, you have, uh, if you've been hurt by a sister or your mother or a family friend, let it go. Release it. They say bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It, it hurts us. It doesn't do anything to the other. It hurts us, so let it go. You still have time before Christmas to make phone calls. You have time to write letters or send emails to correct relationships and to bring healing into them. So let the bitterness go. Just let it go. All right, so what we've heard today is that um, we have joy inside us. It's a gift from Jesus and provided by the Holy Spirit to us. And you always have joy inside you. Even, uh, even when facing problems, it's there. and There is an ebb and a flow to the joy in our lives. And that's natural, that's okay, as to how much we're feeling and how we express it. But we can learn to return to joy. You can learn to return to joy by talking to God. God, here's what's happening in my life right now. God, why am I not experiencing the joy that, uh, the, the joy that is joy that I have through my salvation? 
and, and God show me and then repenting of whatever he shows us and uh, releasing it and, uh, and, and doing whatever he asked me to do, just walking, in, and you walk back into joy that way. So let's pray, all right? Father, um, we're thankful for your goodness and your love for us, and we want to experience joy. I, I just pray a breaking off of any shame or any um, embarrassment that any of us would have in this whole realm of expressing joy. And make us like David who danced before you without embarrassment, without fear or anxiety. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to receive our offering right now. So if you grab the basket on the far left of the row, pass it down, appreciate it. Uh, you can also give through um, our app. You can give on the website. And uh, just so everyone knows... We, we don't have any other sources of income or support for this ministry other than what we receive in these offerings and through the offerings we get through our website and our, our Vineyard app. So thank you for giving as you do. Uh, we promise you we're going to use it with all the wisdom God gives us to advance his kingdom. So today as well, we're going to receive communion. And those that are going to serve communion can go back and get ready right now. We will have stations here at the front as well as in the back of communion servers. And the way we do communion here is you pick up the little, uh, the little wafer. That represents Jesus' body. And as we've talked in the past, the, um, Jesus, when we touch this, it's kind of like a touch point with Jesus. Uh, used the illustration of the woman that touched Jesus' cloak and was healed when she touched it. The cloak was not Jesus, but it was something attached to Jesus. And Jesus said, this is my body. And so it doesn't literally become his body, but it is a touch point of faith with him. And, and so as you touch that and you dip it in the juice, which represents his blood, Jesus shed his blood so we could be forgiven for all of our sins and be freed. And so you're just saying, thank you, Jesus, and you consume that. And as you do today, just say, okay, Jesus, as I consume this, just release joy in me. Release some of the joy that's, that's flowing deep inside me. And so, uh, Father, we're thankful for, um, for, for your goodness. And Jesus, thank you that you died for us and you gave us this celebration of communion uh, so that we could worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, servers are going to come. The band's going to start playing. Um, you're welcome to come when you're ready. This is open. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to be a member here to receive communion with us. Uh, it's, it's something that, that for anyone who has received Christ, it's just a wonderful way to express worship to him. As soon as communion is over, you're w- welcome to come up to the front and worship, okay? Let's all start off. Let's stand, okay? Let's stand. end our services by offering prayer because we believe God does respond right now and that he wants to touch people, wants to bring healing physically, he wants to bring hope for some and a release from things that are binding up others. So uh, prayer teams, you can start to make your way down. Micah, who is on staff here and leads our prophetic ministry, is a seer. What that means is he sees into the spirit realm what's happening. So Micah, share. 
Yeah, hello everybody. So what I saw was just um, I saw angels dancing like around us, and they had ribbons that, that said joy on them, and it was very beautiful. And you, they were moving through you guys. It was it was beautiful. And what I get the sense of is that this Christmas is going to be different for some of you. You're going to experience new levels of joy, and it's going to be a happy Christmas this time. Okay, it's going to be a happy Christmas, so expect that this year. So, Lord, I just thank you for joy this Christmas. Lord, I thank you that you are going to restore families this Christmas. Bring families together. Some of you have been praying for restoration of families. Bring mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and uncles back together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. All right, so prayer teams are making their way this direction. Come up for prayer for anything you need. And um, hey, awesome to worship with you all today. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.